So we are nearly through with the Olympics next week. We'll end the Olympics uh, next uh, closing ceremony. It seems like it, it comes so slowly and it goes so quickly. And um, I'm tired of swimming, I can tell you that. It's been swimming for a while now. I'm ready to move on to something else. So here we go uh, with so, some more competition this week. And how exciting, again, every day is a new uh, medal for Phelps. But other than that, everything every day is a new something uh, in the Olympics. And I want to talk about one, one of my favorite stories from the Olympics. I have been studying the Olympics pretty regularly and even the history of the Olympics for a number of years. And one of the best stories I think of all times didn't happen with a superpower, didn't happen between Russia and America or in some gymnastics vault that blue got perfect tens or anything like that. Those are great stories. But here's the best story of all. And it didn't even happen in a great country or this humongous country. It actually happened in a third world country in Eastern Africa. A Tanzanian guy, a Tanzanian guy in Mexico City Olympics in 1968, John Stephen Aquari was running the marathon. And during the marathon, he falls and he gets hurt. And while he's out and away and he keeps running, he gets back up. You can see the bandage on his leg. He keeps running. He keeps running. He had all the reason in the world to stop the race. He had all the reason in the world to pull himself from the race. He came in so far behind. He came in an hour went behind the second to the last runner. That's how far behind he was. Everyone had left the stadiums except for one reporter. The reporter goes up to him and asks, why didn't you quit? You had every reason in the world to quit. And this is his statement. He says, I don't think you understand. My country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. He ran it for country. He ran it for pride. He ran it for dignity. He ran it because he was sent to run a race. When we read last week about Paul and his life, and at the end of his life, as he's writing young Timothy this letter, and he writes the letter, and he says this to the young Timothy. He says, listen, Timothy, I may not be able to see you again. I may not be able to come in to you again. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. My, the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Every one of those verbs were in a perfect tense verb there. Every one of them is perfect, finished, done, complete, but it has continuing results. Every one of those is the idea that, listen, God put me on this earth for a reason and I have run that reason. God put me on this earth and he put me into a a battle between good and evil and I have fought that battle. To the very last blow, to the very last ding of the bell, I will fight, I have fought, and I will finish. There is something in that story of Paul. There's something in that story of that Tanzanian quarry runner out there that, that, that I hope would set a bar in us, to set a standard in us that we would wipe clean the template of Christianity today. And we would say, okay, I'm going to live at a gold medal standard of Christianity. I'm going to live at a different level. I'm not just going to live among the norms. I'm not just going to be the, 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 the one who sits on the sides and, and critiques those that are in the game. I am going to be in it to win it. I hope that you don't just look around and, and, and just measure yourself against the person sitting next to you 
I pray as much as them. I give as much as them. I go as much as them. So therefore, I must be okay. Or I give a little bit more than them. I pray a little bit more. Listen, let's, let's look at Paul. Let's look at some of the greater people who've gone before and set a higher standard. We've been looking at what gold medal faith looks like. And the first thing we looked at in the very first week is that we will run a faith that is intentionally intense. There's an intentional intensity about how I'm going to run my faith. And again, I want to emphasize the intentionality of it. I want to emphasize the intensity of it. Whenever Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as we read that, that all runners run, that whole metaphor has a sweaty cardiovascular energy draining element to it. All runners run. Are you in this to win it? Are you in it sweating? Does your faith have a sweat? I want my faith to sweat. I want my faith to, I want my faith to have a cardiovascular system that's, that's working and pumping. I want to have an intensity about my faith. Start off this week by just putting it out there. I mean, do you have an intensity about your service? Do you have an intensity about your prayer? Do you have an intensity about your giving? Do you have an intensity about the way you live out your faith? That first week I mentioned that there's 50 positions that we need to fill in our children's ministry. Now think about that for just a moment. A church this size, 50 and 25 in our wee world, 25 in, in, our, in our grade school, elementary. It's on Sunday. You serve one, you worship one. It's real easy. It's two hours, three hours, maybe out, out, out of a week. But you make that commitment. You sign up, you make that commitment. It's not just filling a, a cold body in a warm spot or a warm body in a cold spot. It's not that at all. It's actually, I'm going to take on a ministry. I'm going to get in this race and I'm going to run it. In that, in that appeal, we had 25 thereabouts people say that they will try it out. You know what? We should have filled it up and had a waiting list of people. We could have filled it up in this service alone. I'm not trying to put guilt on anyone. I'm just, I want to ask you this. Do you have a sweaty faith or do you have a perfume faith? Do you have a faith that you mask over so it smells okay? Or do you have a faith, are you running? Are you running in a race that you're actually sweating out your faith? Think about it. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 if you need to review it. Number two, run my faith with a substantive significance. And again, I know these words are are big and, and kind of clunky words, but just hang on to them. Barnett talks about the faith across America as being sentiment without substance. Sentiment without substance. Oh, we like the idea of being committed. We like the idea of praying. We like the idea of giving. We like the idea of having a Bible study. We like the idea of going around the world. We like the idea. We like the idea of calling ourselves a Christian. We like the idea. We like the idea. It's a sentiment, but the follow-up is weak on the other side. The follow-through is not there. What a real gold medal faith looks like is that there's substance behind it. There's, there's actually fruit that comes out of it. He even talks about, Jesus talks about fruit. Paul talks about fruit. You know, there's, there's, there's something that comes out of our faith of substance that's lasting and impacting in people's lives. There's significance to that kind of faith. That's what we're talking about, where there's a level of commitment that is unshakable. You can't talk about the Olympics in commitment and sacrifice and not talk about Eric Lytle. Scottish-born, British-sent, sent by Great Britain to the 1924, I believe it was, Olympics 
in uh, Paris. And even a movie, Chariots of Fire, was made telling his story. We all know the Chariots of Fire music. As you think about the story of Eric and you understand his level of commitment, not only to the sport, but also to the faith. And when it came down to the sport and the faith, there was no questioning which rose to the top. See, he was a great, he was a great runner. He was a gold medal runner. He was an Olympian. But he lived out the rest of his life when his racing career was over as a missionary to China and actually dies in China. But I don't want to talk about that as much as I want to talk about his life as a runner. His faith, his commitment to his faith was long before that because whenever he was sent from Great Britain to Paris to run in the Olympics, he was supposed to run the 100-meter dash. He was supposed to get the gold medal. He was supposed to represent the UK. He was supposed to, but what happened, they didn't know it then like we know now. They didn't know it, but the game, the the event, the 100 meters was going to happen on Sunday. Eric has a commitment on Sunday. He doesn't run. He lives by principle and he says, listen, I don't run on Sunday, period. That is a day for rest. That's a day for worship. It's a day for family. I don't let other things come in. Hey, listen, you got six other days out of the week to choose from, but I don't run on Sunday. Oh, he got guilted. He got shamed. He had the British Council, uh, uh, Olympic Council on him. He had the IOC on him. Everyone was saying, you've got to run. You've got a responsibility. The world is watching. You've got to run. He said, I will not run. He later goes on and gold, gold medal. It was in the 400-meter relay. But the 100-meter race came and went, and Eric did not run in it. Here's what I want to ask you. Does your passion trump your principles or do your principles trump your passion? And that's where you've got to think deeply. Are you a person of principle or a person of passion? Because it's really easy to just be sucked in by the world, to the passions of the world, the desires of the world, the opportunities of the world. And I said a few weeks ago, we're going to have to learn to say no to some things we want to say yes to and yes to some things we're going to say no to because we are so pe- much people of principle and we are going to be guided by principle and we're going to live by principles. The third thing I want to talk about today is that, that we would run the race with an enduring perseverance. We would run the race with an enduring perseverance. And each one of those words means something, enduring. Listen, I I don't know about you, but I feel like I am under a constant barrage of attack of Satan. Uh, It's not in every moment of every day, but it's a pretty constant. And if he's not at one point trying to make me dirty, he's at another point trying to make me depressed. And if he can't make you dirty, he'll make you depressed. If he can't make you this, he'll make you that. If he can't tear apart your family, he'll tear apart your character. If he can't tear you down physically, he'll tear you down emotionally. And you will be in this constant battle as long as you seek to live and do what is right. But the question is, is will you have an enduring perseverance to get through, to fight through the storms and the battles that come at you? are going to come. You know that. You can give in like everyone else. You can give in to the passions like everyone else, or you can fight against it. The enduring element, here's my little definition. Endurance is the ability to not be tripped or fall. 
Okay, can you go? And, and even if you stumble and you, you trip on your feet, can you keep going? Or you just fall on your face and give up? Have you even heard about the race last night? I think it was like a 10K. A British guy fell, gets up, keeps running, and ends up winning the race. Do you have that level of endurance that you're going to keep running even if you stumble a little bit, but you're going to keep running? And then the perseverance. Even Paul, by the way, was worried about himself stumbling. He said, I disciplined my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear. Here's, see, we're all one step away from stupid. We're all one step away from making the wrong decision. I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. Perseverance. Do you have the mental, do you have the spiritual fortitude to not quit. Now here's, here's the, the tragedy of our sentiment without substance faith of America. Hear this very clearly. Hear me say this passionately, not trying to guilt anyone, is we give all kinds of excuses for why we change what we change and why we do what we do that will fit our plan. Oh, God closed the door. Well, maybe God didn't close the door. Maybe Satan closed the door and prayer and grace and strength of other brothers around you, you open that door and you keep marching. Well, you know, it got hard and I just feel like it was not God's will anymore. Or I I didn't love him anymore and so I needed to find somebody that I love even more. And so I found this person over here. And God, after all, here's the one that I'd like to slap you. If you ever say it to me, I might slap you. So get ready. Duck. Okay, if I, God just wants me to be happy. I mean, after all, that's what God wants us to be, is just happy. Now listen, I promise you God wants you to be happy. But that's not the end-all goal of His life for you. It's not all kingdom will line up and the stars will line up when Mike McDaniel is happy. It's not the end of it. Do I have the level to persevere? Take your Bibles, look at the book of James. We're going to look at the half-brother of Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus, who wasn't a believer while Jesus was alive, but when he saw the resurrection, okay, big brother, you're the real thing. Okay, I'm following you. And that's exactly what happens in his life. He writes one of the first letters that's written in the New Testament, James chapter 1, and he writes this, this, this letter while the church is being spread abroad because they're under persecution. They're under attack. The Roman emperor, Claudius, is actually after and targeting Christians. He's expelled them from Rome, and particularly the Christians. Now, it says in history, it refers to the Hebrews or the Jewish people. But up until about 300, the Jews, uh, the world looked at Christians and the Jews as kind of one because we kind of were birthed out of, out of, out of, that, out of that movement. But Claudius hated the Christians, and he wanted them gone. He wanted them killed. And many of them were facing execution and many of them were facing uh, tortures and, and to recount their faith. And in the 40s is about the time that James writes. And as he writes, he writes this earliest writing. And it's written in kind of what, what some people call the uh, Proverbs of the New Testament. Because it's really kind of choppy. If you look, if you read through James all the way through, you kind of get it in chunks. 
Okay, it's, it's, it's one inspirational thought. It's one directive thought. It's one bit of wisdom after another. And sometimes it doesn't even seem like it flows together, kind of like the book of Proverbs. So it's kind of the New Testament uh, Proverbs. But what he's trying to do, I just imagine it like this. He's got this papyrus. He's got all these Christians scattered abroad. They're facing persecution. We've got to get the word out. Here's some direction for you as you move out. And we're going to look at one verse today that ties back to the one word that we've been studying for the past several weeks, the Greek word stephanos in verse 12. See if you can find it. Follow along. He writes it in kind of a beatitude form here. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the stephanos of life, the crown of life, which God has promised To him who love him. We've read several descriptions of crowns and Stephanoses. We've seen the incorruptible crown. We've seen, we've seen the crown of righteousness. Now we see this crown of life. And what I want us to see in this particular crown, I don't know that there are three distinct crowns. I don't know how it's all going to pan out when we get to heaven. And we'll figure that out when we get there. But I do think it's the reward system of God because God values this kind of faith. And so he's going to reward this kind of faith. And we've talked about that. But here's what I want you to see here is I want you to see the fact is, is that this is a faith that is an enduring, persevering kind of faith. So let me take a survey, random survey, okay? Raise your hand. If you could trade your house right now for a beachfront home, would you, would you, would you take a trade? Uh, even, even across the board, okay. All right, there's more of y'all in this service than this first service, okay? They're, bum- they're, they're, they're dead weights in the first service. More of y'all like beaches, okay? We're, we're on the same accord, okay, on the beach thing. Well, what if, is, it's all fun to have a beach house until a hurricane comes. And then it's a different thing. Then you're going to see the quality of the beach house that you've got at that point. And if you had lived on the Bolivar Peninsula in Gilchrist, Texas in 2008, you might not want a beach house. Because Hurricane Ike comes blowing through, and this is not Photoshop. This is the real McCoy. This is all that was left. One house. I want the guy who built that house to build my house. No joke. You can move back into that house and watch the storm, sip tea, and watch the storm go by if you lived in that house. That's my kind of house. Here's the thing is, we all have a faith, but do we have that kind of faith? Do we have the faith that will handle a hurricane-like wind? Or do we have a faith that just blows us over? A cosmetic faith, a faith that looks good on the outside, that smells good on the outside, that cleans up pretty good, that knows the Christian vocabulary, that knows the right things to say, that knows how to act around a pastor whenever he's around. I love it whenever somebody cusses around me and they say, oh, sorry, it's a preacher in the house. Listen, bring them on. I need a few dams and hells in my life every now and then. I can handle it, Okay. But the point is, is that we try to clean it all up because we want to look a certain way. But listen, I want a faith that goes through hell and lives. That goes through a storm and makes it. Three measures of a good, real faith. Jot them down. Ask yourself these questions. Is my faith resilient? Is my faith resilient? This is what the Olympic 
Creed says, if you have never read it. The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win. Tell your boss that tomorrow. But to take part, just as the most important thing in life is not to triumph, but to the struggle. The essential thing is not to have not to have the conquer conquered, but to have fought well. To be able to have stand and stood through the storms of life, and they will come. Someone has said, "Characters is not made in adversity, but is revealed." And I think it's a little bit of both. You bring adversity on, you see really what's down deep. Now, notice what it says in verse twelve. There, it says, "Steadfast." Apumano is the Greek word, and it means to remain behind. Like that house that's remaining behind after Hurricane Ike comes through. Does your character remain behind after an opportunity to be bought out is there? Does your relationship remain behind after the storms have hit the relationship? Does your faith remain behind whenever a knife is put to your throat like it's happening around the world today? Would your faith remain? What level of faith do you have? Because the reality is is that so many people throw in the towel on the church as soon as there's some uh, segment of it shows the fleshliness of the church. Listen, that's when the church needs to be the church. Somebody gets a little sick and they want to quit. God didn't answer my prayer. Listen, that's when we got to say, that's when we got to remain behind. That's when we got to keep praying. That's when we don't throw in the towel. A person walks through this hellish storm. It's like, God, you failed me. God, if you were really God, you wouldn't have let that happen to me. I don't have answers for why that hell came. It came. And how did you remain is maybe the bigger test. The Apostle Paul. I mean, excuse me, the Apostle John writes the Isle, on, from the Isle of Patmos to the church of Smyrna. And he writes these words in Revelation 2, chapter 9. He says, I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. How is it that you can be uh, in poverty and, and be rich? Read Matthew chapter 5 and you'll re- learn about the poverty and richness there. But then he goes on, he says, I know the slander of those who say that Jews, they're Jews and they're not, but they're the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you may suffer. What do you mean, God? You mean if I follow you, I suffer? You know, give me the faith that says I won't suffer. Give me the preacher on the stage that says if I do everything you tell me to do, I'll never have a bad day in my life. Listen, that's easy, church, and easy's down the street. Easy's somewhere else. The reality, sadly, we will suffer. Look, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have an affliction for 10 days. Be faithful until death. And read the last phrase with me. And I will give you the crown of life. The same crown he refers to in James chapter 1, verse 12, is the only other time it refers anywhere else in Scripture the crown of life, but it happens and it's given to the one who perseveres and makes it through whatever, whether it's 10 days, 10 hours, 10 months, 10 years, whatever it may be. 
Listen, in the first century, they just knew that if they were, if they were followers of Christ, that they would suffer. In AD 44, King Herod had James the Greater thrust through into with a sword. We know John the Baptist was martyred for standing up for righteousness against Herod. Stephen was the first to be martyred uh, following the resurrection of Christ. Luke was hung by the neck from an olive tree in Greece. The doubting Thomas was pierced by a pine spear, tortured with red-hot plates, and burned alive in India. And to this day, if you go to southern India, there are places in southern India where they still refer back to they first received the gospel through Thomas. In AD 54, the proconsul of Heracopolis uh, had Philip tortured and crucified when his wife converted to Christianity. While listening to Philip preach, Philip continued to preach from the cross as they crucified him. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just, uh, the just was thrown uh, off the southeast pinnacle of the temple, fell a hundred feet, survived it, and then was beat to death by a mob. Simon the Zealot was crucified by a governor in Syria in AD 74. And in 2015, they're still killing Christians in Syria. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Peter was crucified upside down because he was unworthy to be crucified like Christ, he felt. John the Beloved was the only disciple who ever did, who died of natural causes. But it wasn't until after they poured boiling oil on him, trying to kill him, and the, the, the emperor had him, Diocletian, had him sentenced to the Isle of Patmos, where there he wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of our Bible. These are our founders of our faith. He wrote three letters after this persecution and after the death of all of his brothers and sisters before him. First John, second John, third John. When you read them, read them as if you're reading from the hands of martyrs. This is real. From people who gave of themselves completely. Forty Egyptian churches were burned to the ground. House church leaders were sentenced in Iran to the infamous Evan prison. Eight Christians were murdered in North Korea for merely having a Bible. Believers were nailed to the cross in Syria. And all this happened in one month in 2014. It's still happening today. Pew Research Center has reported that 70% of the world's population lives in a country of high to very high degree of religious restrictions. The U.S. Commission of International Religious Freedom in, uh, in, in its 2015 report identified 17 countries whose government engages in uh, or tolerates particularly severe violations of religious freedom that are systematic, ongoing, and egregious. Like, Michael, are you saying all this stuff? 
Because I'm saying if we're going to be serious about a faith, then we're going to have to have an enduring element. We're going to have to have a resilience. We're going to have to be able to push, persevere and make it through. Listen, we're going to have to be willing to go to hard places and live in hard times out our faith if we're really going to have a gold medal faith. Listen, we go to hard places as a church. We've been going to hard places for a lot of years. We've survived, literally had teams in countries where there's a coup going on. We've had teams in country where Ebola was on. Not that we send ourselves into danger. It happens around us. We're wise, but yet we realize we've got to go to hard places. Because it's amazing when you go to hard places, you see amazing people of God. Let me tell you about Stacy Ash and a girl, a lady named Yah. A team went over and they were, Stacy's there on the left and Yah's on the front to the, uh, in, the, in the dark dress kind of leaning over. And she, uh, she had heard that uh, some villages away that there were some Christians that were there in this village. And so she, she an hour's walk, dr- walks over to this village to hear the gospel story. And Stacy opens up the Bible and shares the book of Esther with her. That for such a time as this, you, Yah, could be, you could be a follower of Christ and you could serve Christ and you could take the gospel back to your village. And Yah receives the message or follows Jesus. And we now start calling her Esther because she was really living like Esther. She was going back. She goes back to her village. She takes the gospel back to her village. Who's she going to tell? She's going to tell her husband. She's going to tell her family. She's going to tell all those around her what happens when she's greeted in a Muslim country that she's now a believer. She is beaten. The Bible that the team, our team gave her, is taken and burned. Now, our team has come back to the States now. We don't know anything about it. We just know Esther's a believer, and she's living in this village. Esther makes her way back to the village. The headman of this village is a believer and has another Bible and gives her another Bible. The story doesn't end there. Lori goes back over there, takes another team of women. Noel Johnson was on that team, and they sit down again and talk to Esther. And they talk to Esther this time, and they talk about how she was beaten, her Bible was burned. She said, well, what are you doing now? So I have another Bible. What are you doing with it? I take it out in the field and I bury it. Really? What, what are you doing with that? She says, and then I'll go out to the field when I'm supposed to be working and I'll open it up, I'll dig it up, I'll open it up and read it, I'll close it, bury it back in the ground and I'll go back about my work so that I can follow Christ. Listen. How many of these babies do we have to have? People will give their souls to hear the stories that we take for granted. We need a steadfast, resilient faith. Number two, does your faith have stamina? Notice that he said here, verse 12, he said it stood the test. I think we all like Michael Phelps and 22 gold medals. I don't know, maybe he got another medal last night for all I know. He makes $12 million a year in endorsements. Usain Bolt makes $30 million a year in endorsements in crazy, ridiculous amounts of money. You don't make that kind of money outside of the fact that you 
have been tested. You have proven you're a gold medal athlete and you can bring in money. In the ancient times of old, the banking system was a little, was a little rudimentary, but a little basic. I mean, if you carried around a, a coin, a, 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 a Roman coin, it was valued at what that value of what it weighed. And what they would do is they would take the, the, the gold, the metals, the, they would put them together, they would melt it down, they would take off the dross, and then they would stamp it. And as that stamp was taken out, then they would be circulated as, as the money. And as it was circulated as the run of money, people got smart though. They realized it was stamped, let's say, a dollar. What they would do is they would carve off, shave off a little bit of the gold, a little bit of the silver. They'd shave it off. And pretty soon you shave off of enough dollar notes, the value of a dollar, and all of a sudden you have a little bit of money yourself. So what they would do is occasionally, there were 80 different laws around Athens to protect the, the currency and the weight of the gold and the, the measurement systems and so forth. And honest money collectors would actually have to weigh it and, 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 and collect it. And what they would do is they would consider something doikmas, proven, approved, accurate, why do you say that? Because the word he used here, stood the test, is doikmas. You know what? If you make it through the trial that you're going through right now, and you keep your faith solid, and you stand there a test of time, and you go through that trial, you're doikmas. You've been approved. That's right. You're doing it right. That's the way it's supposed to be. And this is everything that James is talking about in chapter 1. Throw up James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. And you'll notice here, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. Notice the similarities between verse 12 and verse 2 to 4. And you can do your own comparison study uh, later on. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness is full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Now put the comparison up there. If you look at this, you'll find there's a lot of comparisons between these verses. It's almost like the first part is the first part of James' introduction. It's talking about, listen, there's joy, there's contentment, there's happiness, even though you're going through trials, even though you're being tested, because it's the end of the day. If you pass the test, you'll be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Pass the test, you stood the ground, the crown of life is yours. There's a beautiful picture there that I want you to meditate on because the word, their trial, is the word pyrosmos, which is where we get the word pirate from. How many of y'all have ever had a trial that hits you like a pirate? I'm not talking about a mighty, you know, kind of Johnny Depp, you know, kind of pirate here. I'm talking about you go, go into a, a doctor's office healthy, you thought, and you come out with a very bad report. You go into work one day thinking it's going to be a normal day of work and you walk out with a pink slip. You, you, you go home at night thinking your marriage is one way only to find out there's boxes that have been packed and they're on the front porch and that relationship is over. That's a pyrosmos. That's a trial. And it hits hard. And it hurts deep. If you make it through that trial, you don't give up on God, you don't give up on your faith. There's the crown of life awaiting you. Number three, third question 
I'm dumping fuel here. I got so much to say, but I'm just. If you want to test your faith, is there a love for Jesus? Is that the motivation of your life in faith? It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's absolutely a love relationship with Jesus. If you, if you notice in this verse here, what he, what he says here, pull that last verse up there. Right, he says this. Blessed the man who remains steadfast in the trials, is to the, the task. He will see the crown of life, which God has promised to those. What's the last phrase? Who love him. Comes back to a love relationship. You remember back of you remember uh, back uh, last week whenever in Second Timothy four seventeen it says the crown of righteousness is for those who love his appearing. See what happens is God wants to reward those who have a deep and intimate love relationship with him. It comes back to a love relationship with Him. Not a do's, not a religious, not a do's and don'ts. It's a love relationship. It comes out of love. It's fueled by love. You, 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 you persevere because of love. You go through trials and you know that you're committed. You know, some of you who, who've gone through trials in your marriage and, you, and you've come out on the other side, it's like, man, we were forged in that opportunity. We, we found each other in the deep pain of that moment. The same it is in your faith. When you go through that life and you find that God's with you, even in that moment. We're going to be doing a, a series in, in starting in, uh, in October. And I told you about it last week, experiencing God and how, how we know and do the will of God. And I think that's one of the most important concepts that we've got to get down in our faith. Now, and there are going to be seven realities that we're going to study. Let me give you number two reality and I've got to finish. Number two reality is this. I'm going to give you one, I'm going to give you three, I'm going to give you number two, is God pursues a love relationship. God pursues, God initiates, God pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal. Here's where you've got to think deeply about your own life. Please listen. Is your love relationship, oh, excuse me, is your relationship with God motivated by love? And is it real and is it personal? If it's not, you're going to hit a hurricane. And the only emotion you're going to have toward God is anger, disgust, and bewilderment. But if you know and you have experienced the deep down love of God, you will endure and you will put up with everything because you know that He loves you and He hasn't given up on you and you aren't going to give up on Him. I close with a true story. Carrie McDonald was the only survivor in a drive-by shooting in Iraq on March 15, 2014. Her husband was killed, David. Three other International Mission Board personnel were killed as well. Larry and Jean Elliott, Karen Watson. You think, what in the world were missionaries doing in Iraq in 20 or 2004? That's not where you go. Remember... You go where God's called you. You stay where God's called you. You persevere where God's called you no matter what God's called you to do. This is what she said. She says, we have to keep going. 
to the hard places. We have to keep going to the violent places. God's calling has not just to go to the places that were easy. It reminds me of Revelation chapter 2. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know where you are in your relationship with God and your walk with Him, but oh, how I pray. And if you're in a hard place, you'll not give up on Him. In fact, I I pray this for you. I pray your faith, your your commitment is even deeper. Your love, even wider. Your resolve, even greater. In an uncompromising manner. Father God, you know the hearts of everyone in this room right now. You know the pain that some are feeling and going through. You know the loss that some are going through. And you know some that are just absolutely irate with you, God. And you're okay because you're still God and you're still holy and you're still righteous and you're still loving and you're still ready to embrace them. And so, Father, I would pray today if there would be anybody in this room that would need to walk in step with you, that would need to get in step with you, that would need to enter into that love relationship with you and out of religion and into a relationship, Lord, I would pray that they would say yes to you. That they would nail down some beliefs today that would be uncompromising. The first belief is who you are in their life. Lord, we ask your blessings in this moment, in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. All around this room, on the landing, across the front, we're going to have some pastors, some of our deacons. Just be hanging out. You want somebody to pray with? Just come take us by the hand. We'll go from there. Stand and sing.